You're listening to the Healing Birth with Carla podcast, and I'm your host, Carla Sargent. For the past decade, I've been working in the field of birth trauma support and education, utilizing my background in midwifery and teaching, and putting my passion for story sharing to good use. This podcast seeks to dispel common myths surrounding birth trauma and what it takes to heal. Each week, we'll be spending an insightful and inspiring hour together, listening to the stories of people who have journeyed from trauma to healing, and discussing the insights of birth keepers who support others to heal. Whether you're new to the world of birth, a long-time parent, or someone who has an insatiable appetite for all things birth-related, this podcast offers hope and love, guidance and peace, as together we explore how healing our earth begins with healing birth. But before we grace your ears with today's episode, I'm going to take this opportunity to say that if you're inspired to heal with me, or to train with me, or if you have a healing story that you'd like to share on my podcast, reach out to me via my website healingbirth.co.nz. Today I'm joined by Hannah, who shares with us about the traumatic experience she encountered when she was nearing the end of her pregnancy with her second baby. Having had a very straightforward first birth in a birth centre, Hannah had opted for a home birth with her second. But when she began hemorrhaging at 36 weeks, her plans for a peaceful, gentle home birth were foiled. She was experiencing a placental abruption, which ultimately resulted in a very rushed emergency caesarean. The final moments before Bradley was born were the source of Hannah's PTSD symptoms that haunted her in her postpartum journey. Despite asking for help from the professionals, she was repeatedly declined support and reminded that, actually, she was one of the lucky ones, that under the circumstances, she was lucky to have a healthy baby. This did nothing to relieve Hannah of her depression and anxiety and only served to fuel the guilt and shame that she held surrounding her experience. At six months postpartum, she finally received the care she needed to begin her healing process. A brilliant psychologist used EMDR therapy with Hannah and the PTSD symptoms immediately started abating. Two years on, Hannah is now a birth doula Primarily, she hopes to change the story for others who experience a traumatic birth and are pregnant again. Welcome, Hannah, to the Healing Birth with Carla podcast. It's really, really awesome to have you here with us today, and um, I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yay! (laughs) Awesome. Okay, well, let's just... um, Yeah, this is going to be a first time for me really hearing the details around your journey from um, a traumatic birth, which I I know was your second birth, but you know, perhaps it's helpful for us to hear a little about your first birth experience as well, Um, and then what it took to find healing, and I know that that journey was... um, yeah, a little bit troublesome for you in terms of being able to access the support you needed. So yeah, really interested to hear um, all about your your story. So yeah, tell us, tell us about your first, well, your births, your two births. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little bit different, I guess, in that my, a lot of people I find have 
traumatic first birth and then they go on to have the sort of fairy tale and I kind of wish that was the way around I had it but um my first birth was incredible she um she is nearly four so nearly four years ago um and I live in the Kapiti coast so we're an hour from the hospital and we've got a lovely little birth center here so I decided to go to birth center here that's where we plan to have um Lydia and she came at 39 and four so just yeah easy pregnancy um and everything went to plan we had um I started getting contractions that evening my midwife came out about 2 a.m and said that it was still probably a bit early doors um and recommended I hop in the bath um and she left again and I labored in the bath for a few hours she had said let's meet at nine and so I had that time in my head be like okay get to nine get to nine get to nine um and at about 5 30 I was going through what I now know as transition <laughs> and everything stopped working and I woke up my husband up because my midwife had said let, let Damien go to sleep you have some time to yourself get things established and that's obviously everything that my body needed um and I woke him up and he's like no we're not going till nine and I'm like call the midwife <laughs> yep. and sure enough we got in I was fully dilated um I pushed her out 20 minutes later she was there so I think wow. all up it was about 11 hours um really only about three to four hours active labor 20 minutes pushing and it was just awesome. Like that day, I was like, I can't wait to do this again. Like, it's not what people think after having a baby. But I was so excited to do it again. I just felt like superwoman that I that I didn't done this. And um, yeah, it was it was just incredible. Um, so fast forward, I got pregnant again 10 months later. So quite a small age gap. Um, and this time I figured I had done 99% of my labor at home with Lydia and I had only gone into the um, maternity center just to push um, and I felt like I could do that at home so this time I was like we're gonna do a home birth and I just I'm a teacher so I and a science teacher at that so I research everything I read all the books I watched all the home birth videos um I got myself so prepped I was I was really amped I was so excited to, to do it again um and to yeah have just that fairy tale home birth that you see on all the videos um and so we got to 36 weeks at 37 weeks the midwife comes and drops off your meds in your fridge um 37 weeks is when you can have your baby at home um and so at 36 weeks I had an appointment with the midwife to plan all that so it was just a normal midwife appointment but she booked me in for the 37 week med drop off and um antenatal appointment and everything was looking good baby's heartbeat was great he was in a good position and literally 20 minutes later by the time I left the appointment I drove home got home and I felt a rush of fluid and I thought my waters had gone. And so I looked down and it was blood. It was, I was, I was losing a lot of blood. Um, luckily, I can't remember why my husband was home, but he was. 
um it must have been he must have still been on summer holidays and I asked him to call the midwife and I went to the bathroom to sort of assess <laughs> if it was just waters with a bit of blood to make it look red um I popped a maternity pad in and it soaked through and was dripping through my underwear again um within a minute um and so I knew it was quite bad um I spoke to the midwife and she was like I just saw you <laughs> everything was fine um and I said I was bleeding a lot <clears throat> and again she was like oh you know sometimes your waters can go and there can be a bit of cervical change in there and it can look like blood and I was like I think it's blood but I'll, I'll trust you um and she said to meet at the maternity center which is you know two minute drive from my house in five minutes so we rushed there um I popped in a fresh maternity pad because I was leaking through them and put a towel between my legs um and still by the time I was walking to the maternity center from the car park it was dripping through the towel and she saw me before I'd even got into the doors and she turned around and called for an ambulance um and up until that point I I was I was anxious that something was wrong but I didn't really believe it because I'd just seen her we'd just seen his heartbeat he was fine um but seeing her look upon seeing me mm. without even saying hi hello just mm. turning around and screaming for an ambulance I realized how severe it was what we were dealing with and suddenly feeling that hour from the hospital was really scary um so she was very good at keeping me calm. This was actually not my midwife. It was, my midwife was on holiday because I wasn't due for a month. Um, it's her backup midwife. So I had met her for the first time at that meeting half an hour before. Um, she was really good at keeping me calm. She um, chatted about everything. She downplayed it a lot. Um, she was like, this is just this routine, you know, with, the, with blood, we would like to be in hospital just to be, just to be sure. So we'll get you there in an ambulance. But, you know, we just saw him. He's fine. She popped the CTG on and sure enough, he was fine. He, um, his heartbeat was a little bit elevated, but nothing too worrisome. She popped in three lines in my arms, two, one in each elbow and one in my hand, um, the large bore ones. And again, she's like, just precautionary, just precautionary. But from what I know now that they were, they were prepping for some serious in case I crashed, they they were getting ready. How um, were you feeling at the stage in the piece? Pardon, sorry. How were you feeling at the stage in the piece? Um, I was I was anxious, but I wasn't I wasn't feeling too stressed. She was she was really, it's fine. It's precautionary. Like this is just precautionary. And I kept, I was like, do you think he'll come today? like and she's like no I mean you're only 36 weeks you'll still get your home birth we'll just go to hospital just to check you out we just like we don't play around with blood so she you know she had said that it was um it was serious but she she was downplaying it a lot and we were chatting about us you know this was he was born um January 11th so it was you know just past Christmas holidays New Year's so we were just chatting about that um and she was doing a very good job of making it seem like it was another day at the office. So I was, I was anxious, but I didn't feel like it was too dire. Mm -hmm. I asked her if she thought it was a placental abruption. 
um, because I'd read all the books. So I know, <laughs> I know all of those things. Um, and she said no, that she was pretty confident it wasn't because I had no pain. Um, and that is, you know, a classic si- symptom of placental abruption is severe abdominal pain. And I had no pain, um, just a lot of blood. Yeah. Just, just for the listeners, um, in case somebody doesn't know what a placental abruption is, it's just when part of the placenta comes away from the wall of the uterus. So then there's these exposed blood vessels that cause cause the bleeding that you are experiencing. Right? Yeah, and obviously because the placenta is in charge of breathing for the baby, providing oxygen for the baby, it is it's life threatening for both of us. Mm. Um, the blood loss is quite. Um, hard on the mother and the ba- the the oh. fatality rate on the baby is quite high yeah. um so I felt reassured that it wasn't a placental abruption um that was sort of my number one fear with the blood that it that's what could be I knew where my placenta was I knew it probably wasn't placenta previa because my placenta was up high um and so I was like okay just one of those things um and placenta previous where you've got the like placenta sitting over the cervix right and so blood loss can be a sign of of the placenta being in that spot but you said you knew that your placenta was high yeah so sorry (laughs) presumably by scan like you yes yeah right yeah so um we'd we had several ultrasounds and there was never any worry of um placenta previous so i felt um, reassured with those if you're bleeding in pregnancy those are your two big worries that um about why that blood is there so without that it's it's odd but it's not necessarily life-threatening for the baby um so I felt quite reassured and we just chatted more about our summer holidays um the ambulance turned up um and they got me all ready and they popped me on the stretcher and um at that point the other midwife who worked at the center came out and said the helicopter was on standby um and the helicopter was available to take me in um to hospital because yeah it's an hour hour's drive but about 15 minutes in the helicopter um and that was my I was like what (laughs) I thought everything was fine um and the midwife hopped out of the ambulance and talked to them quietly. Um, and she said, I think we'll stay in the ambulance because the um, Hannah had quite a quick labor with her first. She's not in labor at the moment, but if she does go into labor, it's likely to be quite quick and we don't want to have a baby in a helicopter. Um, and so again, I felt quite reassured. Like, okay, the helicopter was ridiculous, but <laughs> they're, they're just... It happened to be in the area, I guess. And now I know that they diverted it for me. Um, the team in Wellington Hospital said she should come and have in the helicopter. Um, so we went into Wellington under lights and sirens. And the paramedic, my husband was able to come with me, but he drove up the front. The paramedic and my midwife were with me. Um, and she was, again, really good at keeping me calm. But I looked at the notes since and she was not (laughs) her notes indicate that she was quite worried about my status um it was a category oh gosh I remember I'm forgetting the categories now but it was the highest category that you can be in other than like immediate death um so they were all very stressed about 
what could have what could go wrong um and their worry was that I would crash somewhere along the road and because with placental eruption it can just keep getting worse um and so they were they were worried about that um we got into um Wellington and the obstetric team met me at the ambulance and ran up like Grey's Anatomy style <laughs> up to the room and again I was like this is weird but you know maybe this is standard um and the room was full of doctors and midwives and you know they were ultrasound ultrasounding baby and I had the CTG back on um they were did a visual examination with a speculum as well as a um to check if I was if I was dilated at all they did a normal vaginal exam um and they gave me lots of drugs to try and stop the bleeding and the obstetric team again said they didn't think it was a placental abruption because of that lack of pain and the fact that baby was stable um because as we said it's his passage for oxygen so if if it was a placental abruption he would likely be looking a bit stressed um and so again I felt reassured I chatted to the midwife there and I said do you think he's going to come today um and she said not sure it depends on what what happens um but possibly will induce you um just in case this happens again and so that's when I, my brain sli- slowly started realizing that I wasn't going to get my home birth <laughs> um and that I was possibly going to end up with an induction in the hospital which was just so far from what I wanted um no one had mentioned the c word yet the <laughs> c-section um so I thought sort of my worst case scenario was induction um and unless my um labor started naturally and they decided they'd given me all these drugs baby was stable that they would give me half an hour to let these drugs kick in and if I was still bleeding at the end of that half hour they would give me a c-section and so that was so a fresh doctor came in and said that and I was so floored that like no one had mentioned it and I feel like with your first baby you really do mentally prep through all of the different scenarios obviously you want the vaginal birth um but because you've never been through it before you really are like okay well it might end up like this it might end up like this and so with my first birth I had sort of prepped myself that maybe I would have a cesarean and try to think through how I would cope with that but because the first birth was so straightforward and I was planning a home birth it just wasn't even on my radar that I could have a cesarean for my second and so I was just so flawed yeah that I um that it could end up this way and yeah it was um that's when it sunk in that it was serious that um yeah that it wasn't as pleasant as everyone had kind of no not as precautionary as what everyone was trying to make it sound like um and so in that half hour I had signed all of the consent forms and the anesthesiologist came through and they talked through what could happen and um with at the end of the half hour they um took one look with the speculum and said c-section and so I was so gutted 
and just devastated. I was bawling my eyes out. And I do remember the doctor saying, I, I, what's wrong? <laughs> and I said, I'm just, I, I so don't want a C-section. I just, mm. I want a home birth. I'm having a home birth. <laughs> They're dropping the meds off next week. I've got it booked in. Um, and she said, well, do you, do you withdraw consent? Do you not want, do you want us to, we, we can just monitor. And so I did appreciate that. I did really feel like she took that second to stop and really check in that I did consent um, to a C-section. And I said, no, if you feel like we need it, then I'll do what I need to get my baby here. Um, and so then it was all, all guns blazing. We went into the theater, but it was still quite relaxed um baby was still um stable he was he was happy in there um and so Damien was able to come in with me um and they they um prepped for the spinal and which is obviously the medication they give you if you're not in labor so it just fully blocks but it's not like an epidural um and did I explain that well enough? <laughs> yeah, epidural is kind of back and keep topping it up, whereas a spinal, it's kind of like it's given to you, the needle's taken out, and you are numbed for a certain amount of time. And then, yeah, so, um, and then there's it, it, probably some other mi more minor differences, but often, uh, yeah, if a, if a person's going for a an emergency caesarean and they don't already have an epidural on board, they will be given a spinal anesthetic instead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, they did the spinal, um, and while I was in that sort of hunched over position, so they could get the needle in, they lost but um, Bradley's heartbeat, they, they, he went off on the CTG. They couldn't see the heartbeat. And so I thought it was just because I was in this awkward position. And I think they did too. So they got the spinal in, rushed it um, and got it out. And then they started really trying to find his heartbeat and they got it, but it was, it was crashed. It was um, under 60 beats per minute and they wow. like it above 120. So yeah. he had gone from happy as to completely crashed out um and that's when everything just turned on a dime they started um dragging Damien out of the room they the surgeon started yelling at everybody to stop with the the usual prep tasks that someone was writing on the whiteboard he said we don't have time for any of that the anesthesiologist was checking with ice to see the level of um my block and he said we don't have time for that and he started oh. cutting yeah oh. <laughs> um and I could feel it I was I was screaming and so he yelled general and so while he was cutting they were putting me under general anesthetic and oh, yeah and that's the moment that series of events is what I could see in my nightmares for mm. many many months after the Damien being dragged out, the surgeon yelling at everyone, and yeah, obviously the pain of, yeah. of them cutting in before it had before it had um yeah before it had taken. I would, um, I would, I mean, I get, I get that it's an emergency situation. I get that, but 
I, I, you know, I feel really uncomfortable with this idea that he's saying, no, we don't have time to check that the anesthetic has worked before I yeah. start cutting. That kind of, yeah. That yeah. It was, it was really, it was really hard. Um, and there was a lot of um, time after I was worried that if I had just stayed quiet, that I wouldn't be put under. And cause I, it was, it was really hard not, not set, meeting my son for the first hour of his life. Um, I struggled with that for a long time afterwards. Um, and so for a long time, I, the self-blame is so normal but I was just like I should have just stayed quiet like he was nearly out at that uh, point Hannah just... you should have stayed quiet through being <laughs> open and feeling it like I you know no, no. yeah yeah and now I know it was ridiculous but yeah those sort of yeah. thoughts creep in don't they yeah right um and so yeah I, the last thing I remember was them putting me under um and I woke up an hour later, so I missed golden hour. Um, and he was on my husband's chest, so he still got that that fresh hour of um, skin to skin, um, which I was happy about. And yeah, it was so strange. You just felt like it was a dream. And then you're waking up, and your baby's in front of you um and you fell asleep and you were pregnant it's it's really strange yeah what sort of position um, was he in when he was born he was okay um they he needed a little bit of oxygen but from a, just normal c-section babies sometimes need a little bit of help because they don't have that compression um going through the birth canal um so he needed a little help with um oxygen but he was he was okay from the moment his heart rate stopped or stopped dropped right really low um to being born was two minutes so they got him out really really quick so um what I now know happened was that my placenta had partially abrupted there was a large blood clot that they saw when they were taking it out and then while my spinal was being put in that moment where his heart rate dropped it fully abrupted so wow. they okay. they so were watching it in um real time mm -hmm. and so we were just very lucky to be in the exact right place we want to be because the second that oxygen is cut off to the baby you do only have minutes before there are deficits and some long-term issues or or yeah not a good outcome yeah so um yeah <laughs> that's a that's our story um and yeah I really struggled with it for a really long time yeah talk us talk us through what the first days weeks and maybe even months postpartum looked like for you so we had to stay in the hospital for a wee while I what I now know is that I was very lucky that he didn't he didn't need any neonatal time um but again the sort of midwife and paramedic hype squads they were like he's 36 weeks he's fine he won't need any NICU time you'll be um like he if he's born today he'll be with you the whole time and from what I now know that's actually quite rare for 36 weekers to spend 
all of their time um, with mum and not need some additional assistance. And he really struggled with maintaining his blood sugars. So, um, and that's very classic for 36 week um, gestations. It's the, sort of one of the last things to um, correct. So he really struggled with that. And so there was a lot of extra testing. Um, he needed some top-ups with formula. He was so sleepy because of his blood sugars that he couldn't wake up enough to latch. Um, and again, I, I'd done extended breastfeeding with my youngest, my eldest, sorry. Um, and so the idea of introducing formula and not starting with breastfeeding was, was really hard. Um, so yeah, he needed lots of extra support in those first few days, but he didn't need to go into um, NICU. He got close a couple of times. They they test his blood sugars and he had to go over to the actual unit a couple of times because they got a more sensitive read. Um, and so he did that twice and was able to come back to me. So I now know that's really amazing that he did so well with that, but I just thought I was failing at everything and that he came too early and it was my fault. And um, he'd had such a hard road getting here and now he was being pr pricked with the um, heel prick every few hours. Um, so I was a mess. I was, um, it's just so, I mean, the, one of the big reasons I wanted my home birth was that I didn't want to be away from my eldest. I'd never been apart from her at that point. Um, and so staying in hospital was just so far from what I wanted and, I'm so, so lucky that I've got an incredible friend who she was able to go and stay with her and she was she was completely fine. She FaceTimed me lots. Um, but yeah, I was a complete mess. And the um, hospital staff said that it was really normal. Um, you know, you get the two-day hormone drop um, and it's very normal to be quite weepy. Um, and I'd been through that with Lydia and this felt different, you know, with Lydia, you get your slippers on the wrong feet and you start crying or you can't work out why you're crying. This one, I was just so devastated, just everything. I was just about crushing sadness and feelings of failure. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really hard. And what I now know is that, you get your oxytocin and estrogen drop on day two, but that's also the same timeline with adrenaline. And so if you've had any sort of adrenaline fueled birth, you get that drop as well on day two. So it's, it's compounded what is normal. Um, and so I was feeling very weepy, very sad in the hospital. Um, it took us a long time, not, in the scheme of things not a long time but it took us five nights to get discharged um mm -hmm. with his blood sugars and then gaining weight um and that time was so lonely and so hard without Lydia being there mm. um my husband had to go back and help um with Lydia obviously and so it was and because we live an hour away it's just yeah it was a really really hard time um and it felt like the hospital staff were continually shifting their goalposts about when we could get um, discharged. I asked if we could go up to the birthing center up here to do postpartum, postnatal recovery. And because his birth was less than ideal, they were like, oh no, he needs to be weighed. Like, they can weigh him up there. <laughs> um, 
so yeah it was it was a really really hard time I, I spent most of that week crying um and then we got home um and I had amazing support from friends and family they were incredible um but then my husband had to go back to work and the support didn't leave but shifted slightly and suddenly I was home with two kids um and my eldest was just turned 18 months so she was still really little I couldn't pick her up because I had a c-section and so I had to be training her to sort of climb into her cot with this um little step ladder and yeah it was it was really really hard and that's when things sort of shifted I just I just didn't get out of that the weepies I just I was every little thing would bring me to my knees I was um sad all the time mm. I felt immense grief that I didn't get that home birth mm-hmm. um and that I likely never would from now if you've had that kind of experience the first at some point they're not gonna sign off on you to do it again um so yeah it was it was a process um it took a probably a couple weeks before really clear symptoms of PTSD started coming in um I would have nightmares like I said of that those sort of it felt like a clip frame of those that series of events where they were dragging Damien out the surgeon was yelling at everyone they cut and I went to sleep and um I would wake up I just wasn't sleeping because I would have horrific nightmares and flashbacks um then it started that I if I saw an ambulance while driving around I wasn't driving because I had my c-section but um I think if I was out and about and I saw an ambulance I would have a panic attack um I couldn't see an ambulance without really really suffering um and it just got worse from there so yeah it that's when the sort of classic PTSD symptoms started. Yeah, yeah. So feeling anxious all the time, completely unsafe in your body, sleeplessness, you know, these nightmares, flashbacks, you're, um, yeah, and I imagine feeling incredibly isolated through all this. You've got two little E's to care for and um yeah what sort of support did you have around you was anybody I like I'm interested to know back when you were in Wellington was anybody talking to you about how you felt about your birth experience or what could possibly um be you know potential sources of support for you in the in the wake of what was obviously a (laughs) traumatic experience you know a lot of birth trauma isn't obvious it's not um, but sometimes you, you don't need the person to say, you know, that was a traumatic experience. It's just it's plain for anybody to see. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested to know if anybody had talked about any of that with you. Um, and then when you were back home and you would have been under midwifery care, what those midwife visits might have entailed in terms of support around your PTSD, your trauma. Um, in the hospital I had the original surgeon she came back and um, talked to me she was lovely she was incredible Um, and she 
said that I should be on, it should be in my radar of symptoms of PTSD um, and to sort of look out for it. They, she did ask if I had any questions and um, all that. I, I, what stuck in my head was that um, a couple of things. I was, I was worried that what would have happened if I had just, if they had induced instead of C-section. Um, because at that point I didn't realize that it had that full abruption had happened sort of in the theater mm-hmm. um, and so I thought it kind of all felt a little bit like they had jumped the gun that right. he was stable and um, suddenly everyone started panicking and um, and she quickly shut that down and said no that um, what we can see is that he did the p- placenta was going and so we could have put it through labor and seen how it gone. But what we'd seen in theater was that likely it would have erupted and then I would have to then transfer into cesarean. And that delay could have been really bad news. Um, and so that was quite reassuring. And my other worry was, like I said, if I had just waited a couple of seconds before I yelled out, maybe the, the spinal would then kick in and then I wouldn't have had to go to sleep. And she said that if it hadn't kicked them by that point, likely it was going to take a bit longer or it wouldn't be been a full block and that she doesn't regret making the call to go to general. Um, and so I felt a little bit reassured by that, but still, <laughs> it still ate, ate at me. Um, and she suggested... Um, booking a debrief appointment six weeks later because often in these cases you just freeze in the wake after immediate aftermath and um I needed time to process and ask my questions so that was set up that was booked um and so that was through, that was through, the, through the hospital so that would have been through maternal mental health services no that was through the hospital so just booked in a session with her in six okay, weeks okay right yeah to talk to her about um everything that went down and that was really good it was really really hard to go back into the hospital um I dealt with quite a few panic attacks um they asked how I was doing and I said that I was struggling and I mentioned what I was going through and they said it's normal um and that you know time will heal and at least he's healthy that was sort of everyone's catchphrase is you know placental abruptions that's not a guarantee that you get a healthy baby um at least he's healthy was just what did what did that do for you when you every time you heard at least he's healthy it it was so hard it was it I felt guilt why was I struggling when I had a healthy baby mm-hmm. it was just it made me feel immensely guilty that I was daring to say that I was still struggling when I had this beautiful healthy baby Mm. that I was still feeling sad even though I had this beautiful healthy baby Mm. um not long after he was born um someone in my internet group baby passed um at um had a stillbirth Mm. and I just felt so guilty that I was sitting here struggling and spending this time with my beautiful healthy baby crying and not coping Mm. and she was going through all this guilt and uh, grief 
guilt. Um, she was going through all this grief and yeah, yeah it was. This is such an apt reminder of how unhelpful and in fact damaging, harmful um, comparisons are. You know, whatever you're going through, you're going through and it doesn't actually matter how that compares to somebody else's experience. Um, there is no point in making that comparison because that's not going to lessen whatever your experiences were. <laughs> um, and, and in fact, it just adds to it by the sounds. You know, you feel more guilt, you feel more shame around having these experience, uh, these feelings, these emotions. And I think that lends to that experience of um, not wanting to talk about it because it's like, well, you know, who am I to complain when X, Y, or Z, you know, I'm not worthy of support. I haven't been through something that's bad enough for um, these sorts of messages are what we're taking on board when we hear, you know, at least you've got a healthy baby, focus on the positives. It could have been worse. You're lucky. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And we like, that's, that's all everyone said. Yeah. my husband included no one knows how to talk to someone who's been through something like that and it is sort of the catchphrase like mm -hmm. at least mm -hmm. xyz um so yeah um in terms of my um support at home my my husband was studying so he was away but um i had the incredible friend that lydia stayed with she was amazing she did keep in touch um she helped with setting up a meal train my antenatal group set up a meal train they like I did have a lot of support um but it's the same sort of thing that no one knows how to help mm. when mm. it's still so hard weeks and months later um you get so much support in those early immediate days and then it does because it, life has to go on Mm. um so I did bring it up with my midwife and I said that I was still really struggling and at about four weeks postpartum she diagnosed with as much as she could me with PTSD she said that those are classic PTSD symptoms so I would say that that's what you're experiencing it's very normal time will heal um at least you've got a healthy baby <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah time doesn't heal ptsd generally um actually so yeah completely wrong advice yeah. yeah um so i that was about four weeks at six weeks we had our um discharge appointment and i said that i was still really really struggling um and that i would like extra help um is there anyone that she could refer me to before she discharges me and she said in terms of referral no because I don't qualify for maternal mental health that's the only thing that needs a referral um I wouldn't would never qualify for that because it's not bad enough that's for the worst of the worst um and to just look out um look up myself for some counseling services um and try and access help that way um which was, you know, like I said, my husband was studying. I was on maternity leave. We didn't, we weren't in a position to be able to afford those kind of um, 
sessions and so Mm. I was like okay well if time will heal then I'll just wait for time to heal (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and then I met with Plunkett a few months later um, and I was still really struggling and I said that I was struggling and asked again I said my midwife said there was no one that they could refer me to it was like is there anyone that you guys can recommend or access like is there more services that I'm not aware of um and again they reiterated that maternal mental health was there but it is for like she quoted a um, postpartum psychosis um patient who is the only one that she's referred who was um at danger of killing her kids mm-hmm. um and I was like oh okay well that's that's not me I'm just can't function during the day without crying (laughs) like I'm okay I'm okay that's fine um she did recommend a couple of specific um people that I did reach out to um I had a few sessions with a wonderful counselor but she wasn't trained in trauma or PTSD so she wasn't really able to help address that she helped she is the one who said that I likely also have postpartum depression at this point um which so often go hand in hand with trauma and oh the guilt and shame I felt about that was ridiculous um you know Bradley was my last baby and to be sitting here feeling sad and sorry for myself I was just so angry at myself that I couldn't just enjoy this time Mm. that I was wasting these precious memories with my little babies and just feeling sad and sorry about not getting a home birth and things not going right and yeah I think I felt more anger and shame about that than I should have (laughs) oh look it's devastating to hear you describing this Hannah because like we we say to people you know ask for help you know if, if you don't have to pretend everything's okay ask for help and you asked for help you asked for yeah. help and you were told you're not bad enough like actually what the fuck repetitively <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 it was really really hard um and so at about six months postpartum I went to my GP um and again asked um for some help I said what I was struggling with and I asked if I could um I said what I was struggling with and asked is there anyone you can refer me to or anything that else I can be doing um and he prescribed me with antidepressants um but said again maternal mental health is for the worst of the worst um and he's not able to make a referral for that um and so I remember getting home from that appointment I went I went to my friend's house um and just absolutely breaking down I was like I I I feel like I need help and no one's giving me help I don't know what to do with who to turn to if I've ruled out midwife Plunkett and GP now um and I'm not um disparaging antidepressants I needed them they definitely helped 
but they're not going to heal the trauma and the PTSD you know it was debilitating I was it had spread on from just ambulances and it's it's insane how many ambulances you see once you hone in on it you realize how often you see them you see them every time you drive around really um and here in Wellington we have yellow buses which are the same as the yellow ambulances for um the Wellington Free Ambulance and so it had started to spread to yellow buses if I saw a bus I would have a panic attack mm-hmm. um I couldn't handle anyone else having a baby the amount of panic I felt if they were heavily pregnant mm-hmm. um I was I just I wasn't functioning I, at all I, I hear what you're saying about like, you know, not being disparaging of antidepressants and that you needed them. I do wonder if you would have needed them had you had the support that you were asking for, you know, earlier on. Especially like, early on, yeah. what antidepressants do is they numb us, right? Like they, they numb the emotions. So it's a way of kind of coping without addressing the root cause of what's going on so it's yeah so sometimes unnecessary because you you need that numbing in order to be able to get through your freaking days when you are not getting the you know the talk therapy or the um or the somatic therapy or whatever therapy that is going to help unpack like allow you to process and work through your emotions rather than continue to suppress them and try and just get on with life yeah 100 percent. so I was at my friend's house and I was broke breaking down um because I felt like I was out of options and she was like right <laughs> and she got out her phone and she called maternal mental health directly <laughs> and said my friend is not coping she's been a mess since her baby was born six months ago um she's reached out multiple different places no one will make a referral for her where can she go to get a referral how can she access some help mm-hmm. um and they were incredible they said pass her over <laughs> and so i they, she passed the phone over to me um and they said you can do a self-referral you don't need a doctor's referral mm-hmm. you don't need someone to make the first step you can do it yourself which no one I've spoken to has realized you can do that so um if you're struggling call maternal mental health yourself um and they asked me a few questions and said they would get back to me in a couple of days and I was almost immediately approved um I was bad enough um and I still had my first appointment less than a week after that and the psychologist was just livid at how hard it had been to get to that point and she said mm-hmm. I'm not full I don't I'm not I'm not sitting here with a wait list you could have been you know I think everyone was so worried about not overwhelming the services but she said like if she could tell everyone just refer and let them decide what is bad enough what is suitable for them to be on their books and what is not just make yeah. the referral Hannah like, like she's she's saying this to you and you know maybe this is a bit of an anomaly of an experience because in the the research that I did um one of the questions I asked about was 
Um, would, were you offered a referral to maternal mental health services? If so, did you, you know, like agree to having that referral done? And, um, you know, sort of tell me about your experience. And a, a lot of people who had a referral put through were declined. The and and I'm, you know, like people don't ask for this sort of support lightly. Like there was, there's a, it's it's not easy for people to work through their trauma. So for somebody to say yes, I want extra help, then they need it. And and yeah. it's like it's it's horrible that that you know people are getting turned away when they're asking for help. Um, so our services are overrun and overworked, and 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 I imagine that's and understaffed and underfunded. Um, and I imagine that's why the the doctor and the midwife and that like they kind of knew that. But um, so yeah, a hundred percent. There's no there's no right answer here. Like, mm. well, more funding for. Yeah. Um, yeah, maternal mental health is imperative, um, but yeah, they they are completely overrun, and yeah, maybe maybe it was an anomaly of, of what it, what time it was. Yeah. Um, but she she was so angry that people were making the call. Yes. Before them, because yeah. they don't they know more about the. Um, risk factors and things to be looking for i'm so sorry those other people got declined because they are an incredible service it's so mm -hmm. like you say you just don't you don't ask for help lightly and trauma is not your stock standard um postpartum depression maybe which can just be sort of talk therapy away um it's complex and yeah mm. So tell us about the the support that you um, accessed once you were in that in that under maternal mental health services. Um, so they were, um, I mean, she was incredible. She had a couple of meetings where we just sort of chatted through everything, um, and she said that um, one of the best ways to deal with trauma and PTSD was EMDR therapy which is eye movement desensitization and oh I always forget the programming thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah um which I hadn't heard of and um she suggested I go away and look look into it um and she was qualified to do it not many are um and so if I wanted to go that route she was able to work with me with it um and I researched it and it seemed really strange so for those who don't know it's where they um you have to track the um person's eye uh, finger with your eyes without moving your head so it's kind of like the cartoon um hypnosis with a stopwatch you're watching yes. something moving um while talking about your trauma and the idea is is that with trauma you can get with ptsd you can get your brain can think that there's a real danger from the memories. And so you think about the memories and all of the physical symptoms of what you were feeling at the time come back um, and have things like panic attacks and increased adrenaline and all of those things. Um, and so the idea with the eye movement is that it keeps you grounded, it keeps you present, um, stops you going fully back to that point. 
while talking about um, the traumatic thing. Um, so I was like, I, I mean, I'll give anything a go. Um, it's a way of like reprogramming the brain to realize you are safe, even when you are being, let's use the word triggered, because when you're talking about your experience, your, your experience, you're remembering it, you are in a sense being like triggered in that moment. So if you're being, um, you're doing those things that would ordinarily trigger you, but you're in a space where your body is feeling grounded and safe, then it, that's how that reprogramming occurs. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it it took a wee, like a long time to get set up. You can understand why not everyone can just jump in and do it. Um, we started doing it um, and just talking about positive things. We had a positive memory that I was um, sort of encouraged to think about whenever I was starting to feel stressed or think, you know, falling asleep or throughout the day just to try and really ground myself in a positive memory mm -hmm. um so that she had that to come back to if I was getting too stressed um and she asked me a lot of questions it it, it took about three sessions before we actually started the EMDR um and then once we started I mean it's a, it's a hard process you are you're talking about it, I mean literally the opening statement is take me back to the moment the surgeon realized something was wrong you know she she found she through all her questions she had worked out which point was the most triggering to me and that was the start point so you you are really back there and it's 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 not for the faint-hearted mm -hmm. um and it's really really hard but within a couple of sessions I realized I was feeling a bit better that I wasn't having a panic attack every time I saw an ambulance that I could see a bus and not even think about it um, and started to get quite excited that I was actually seeing some progress signs. Um, yeah, I was in total, I think, doing sessions for about two months. But yeah, within a couple of sessions, I was already feeling significantly better. And then the final sessions were just um, really just to get rid of some of that guilt and yeah I took on a lot myself that I felt like I needed that I was not worth me being there um you know feeling like I should have been more grateful that I had a healthy baby and so she worked through all of that with me and um helped me see that what I went through was bad enough it was traumatic and I'm valid to feel how I was feeling and yeah mm -hmm. and by the end of the sessions I I hate using the term better but I really did feel back to my old self I had I was no longer having any panic attacks no flashbacks I could talk about it quite casually and found myself talking about it quite casually where I had previously like fro frozen up if anyone started talking about birth stories I found myself sort of just casually dropping a detail about Bradley's birth um, and without feeling anything. It was just, yeah, it was incredible. Awesome. And was that, do you feel like that was all you needed um, to, to have that massive shift or was there other support you were accessing at the same time that that helped? 
it was mostly the EMDR, I think. I was I was also taking antidepressants, so that helped with the postpartum depression. Um, and yeah, just refiguring those memories and shifting away from a place of guilt and trauma um, into a place of healing and feeling feeling a lot better. I'm I mean, I think we can always keep working on it and always keep um healing um but in general I feel like that's what my brain needed to Mm -hmm. really cope again yeah um how old's Bradley now he turned two in January so he's about two and a half and look at you talking through like (laughs) champion yeah Um, yeah and I did get um I did get a big, um, what's it called? I did have a big backslide at his one year, at his birthday, mm-hmm. his first birthday, um, which really threw me. Wasn't expecting that because I had been feeling so good. Um, I had been signed off by maternal mental health by that point. Um, and so wasn't expecting that big backslide, mm-hmm. but really, really struggled in the lead up to his birthday. And then his birthday itself was really really hard um what I did decide to do which I um would really help me was at the exact moment he was born yeah before um the time where I was asleep but he was born I took him and just me and him went and had a walk down the beach and I found a nice quiet spot and I breastfed him and we had that golden hour oh, of yeah. Yeah. time, um, which was really special. Seems a bit silly <laughs> to do it. It doesn't seem later. in the least silly to me, Hannah. I think these sorts of, you know, acknowledgements and rituals, if you want to call that, are, are um, equally potent, if not more so than, than sometimes some of these more kind of known about therapies are you know yeah 100% it it I felt like I reclaimed that time that missing out that hour was so hard and even though he was now one (laughs) I felt like you know it was exactly I had I had also looked at my notes that's another thing that really helped me um I had requested my notes from the hospital and looked through all of them Mm. um and um so that was another thing that really helped me and then yeah spending that time with him on the beach and it took me a wee while to get back to a place after his birthday but his second birthday I was okay I was um I didn't have any sort of I was worried I was prepped for it um but I was able to get through it really normally it was it was a day to celebrate his birth rather than to deal with the anniversary of my trauma beautiful and his I don't know if it was his your your experience of Bradley's birth or both your births or what but this is sort of taking you on a bit of a path um into birth work yourself like do you want to share with us about that yeah so I had done so much research with Bradley's home birth that I'd been planning I had um, 
like I said, I read all the books. I was so ready. I knew so much about birth and the different stages. And I really felt like I wasn't done with birth, that I felt like I could help other women go through what I had gone and hopefully help prevent more people feeling like I did um, and help people work through it if they do end up like I did. And so I looked through a different, a few different ways that I could get um, apply myself in that sort of way. And I briefly thought about um, retraining as a midwife, which I did, I did consider, but the study with two young kids, I decided wasn't right for me at this time. Um, and so I settled on becoming a doula. So I retrained, I trained as a doula um last year and it's just the most incredible thing <laughs> being able to help women have yeah just help be be around that birth space and help women have babies and I'm loving it so so much beautiful and you know like our connection how I came across you or you came across me um you applied for a scholarship to do to train with me and my healing birth practitioner training or an aspect of that um and and we're awarded that scholarship which is awesome um but I love that you know like there it feels that there are more and more dollars and uh, midwives and others who work or come across people who um, are experiencing a traumatic birth or the fallout from traumatic birth um, and want to know, want to equip themselves with those um, like skills and understandings to be able to be a better doula or a, a better midwife um, or a better, you know, public physio or whatever it is, whatever role you're in where inevitably you are coming across people who have experienced birth trauma. Um, knowing how to really support and guide them through that healing journey yeah so my my big focus like what I think sets me aside from maybe other doulas in the Wellington region um is that I want to help women who have had birth trauma have another baby so I would to help birth after birth trauma and it's so hard I, I personally I haven't done it um but I know it, I know of women who it's just, it. you don't have the lovely pregnancy after birth trauma because you're just worrying about this time. It can be really triggering for all of your, um, any PTSD symptoms that you maybe thought was resolved. Suddenly they all come back. Um, and so what I really wanted to focus on was help people have their babies after birth trauma in a non-traumatic way, or at least help mitigate some of that trauma and so that's been my passion since I started training mm -hmm. and I realized that just having been through a traumatic birth myself doesn't actually qualify me in that at all um, I know what worked for me but I don't know everything else I'm not I'm not a professional so that's how I came across you and I was like I need to get equipped myself so that I can help officially and you know with the knowledge and resources that you share that can help women have a non-traumatic birth 
Yeah, and what's coming up for me as you as you say that is, you know, you talked about um well, we we talked about this this a little bit of this research that I'd done around what were people's experiences of trying to access support after a traumatic birth. And a number of people said that it, despite being offered maternal mental health, a, a maternal mental health referral, they declined it. Now there were various reasons for that, but one of them that came through was that people had felt with you know some of their traumatic experiences that it was the system or people who work within that system that had caused their trauma and they did not want to go back into that same system of care or be confronted with those same people who work for that system in order to find healing which makes perfect sense right like you know yeah I don't want to go I don't want to go back to that hospital where the trauma happened I don't want to talk with people who you know work for that system are paid by the same people who you know yeah 100 um, and, and so they were saying it was interesting because one of the questions I had in my survey was around would you have preferred um one-to-one -one, you know support from a a, a, a a compassionate and understanding person who, who's not necessarily qualified, uh, a qualified like counsellor or psychologist or um, mental health nurse or something, um, or, or would you prefer one-on-one -on -one support from a qualified professional? Um, and you could take, and, and there were other options as well, but you could take as many of them as you wanted. So, the, um, but yeah, most more people ticked the unqualified support than the qualified, which like surprised me. It floored me. Yeah. Um, and you know, I sort of yeah, I was hesitant to go into my birth trauma support role or start up my my business um, back back then because I was like, well, am I qualified enough? to do this work but you know what like I was also hearing through that survey was that some people were accessing counseling support or uh, you know going seeing a psychologist or, or whatever they were they were getting some of this support but that it was it was either not the uh not enough support for them or it was doing more harm. So they were still getting, sometimes getting that messaging of focus on the positives, you know, um, even from qualified professionals. Um, but I think more so it was around that, that there, I think birth trauma support um, requires the practitioner who you're working with to really understand birth, to understand the significance of the, you know this rite of passage to understand the conditioning that we grow up with around birth to understand the culture of the current culture of birth the over medicalization of birth the power dynamics in the birth space how the birth system functions and how we are kind of set up in a lot of ways to experience birth as traumatic and to then blame ourselves for it and our bodies so I was coming from yeah, I don't, I don't have a counselling qualification. I'm not a psychologist, but I understand birth and I am very compassionate. And I tell you what, like, I feel like I'm onto a good thing with the, with the um, support that I offer because I'm just hearing time and time again 
um, of what a significant difference it makes. Um, that being said, you know, like I am sometimes referring people if I'm hearing them talk about symptoms that sound like, oh, this sounds PTSD-ish to me, um, then I recommend things like, you know, EMDR therapy. That was something that came through in the survey as well, that um, people who had experienced PTSD, that EMDR came through as the top um, recommendation for what was most helpful in terms of their healing. Um, so yeah, it, was really it, was, it was honestly life-changing it was yeah I don't use that word lightly but it was yeah. it was like night and day yeah. um, but yeah they just there can't be enough people in this space like there's they're so underfunded they're so it's so hard to access any sort of help the more people in this space the better we just need to like throw more bodies into the ring and if that means that we're just out here arming ourselves as best we can then that's yeah, I think that's can't be anything but positive. Yes, yes, yeah. It was awesome having you uh, explain your experience around what EMDR therapy is and how it helped you. I'm sure that's going to be super, super helpful for some of the listeners out there. And um, and yay to you, like getting out there and getting stuck into this work where you're wanting to. Um, yeah, mitigate the chances of birth trauma happening, and when it does, be equipped with the, the skills to be able to support somebody um, in ways that you didn't have available to you um, during after your birth experience. Yeah, because obviously, what happened with Bradley wasn't caused by anyone. It wasn't. I'm I'm very lucky in the fact that it wasn't um, physician negligence or anything in that in that sort of sphere. Mm -hmm. um, but having said that, all of their positivity calming me down, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, was so harmful because when they turned around and said C-section and then general anesthetic C-section, I was just so taken aback and that zero to 50 was just so hard to wrap my head around that it was, um, so I know that for people who are in traumatic, potential traumatic situations, explaining the real, what, what is actually happening mm. um, is more helpful than mm -hmm. saying rainbows and butterflies and everything's going to be fine because mm. sometimes it's not. And mm. like there's, there's calming you down and there's setting yourself up for mm. real, real harm. This, this makes me think, um, you, you made the point earlier about that, uh, I don't know if it was around Bradley's first birthday, but you um, you got his hospital notes, his, his birth notes, and you read through them, and you said that was really helpful for you, um, which is awesome, but I, I guess to any listeners, I just want to pre-warn you that if this is something you're thinking of doing yourself, that it might be wise to have a support person who understands um, understands birthy stuff, right? Like uh, who can decipher those records for you because there's a lot of jargon and it's really clinical. The notes are really clinical. They are not often talking about what your reality was. It's very, and that in itself can be quite traumatizing to read. Yeah. And like for me, I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a science teacher. I've got a biology yeah. degree, so yeah. 
understanding the clinical really helped me, but it won't necessarily help everyone. But for no. me, that was, yes. you know, understanding and seeing, because again, what, what I struggled with, it seemed like suddenly everyone was panicked. Really reading that everyone was panicked from the second I stepped into the maternal maternity center really helped me because it felt like I wasn't just exaggerating and suddenly, yes. you know, they were just being precautionary, yes. realizing that the obstetric team in Wellington hospital called the helicopter for me and diverted it. They, they were worried from, yeah, mm-hmm. way back when that, that helped. And again, maybe that's just my science categorical brain Mm -hmm. but for me understanding that it wasn't what they were telling me and what they were actually feeling was very different Mm -hmm. was helpful Mm -hmm. yeah yeah makes makes good sense oh well thank you hannah Uh, let's we i think we need to wind this up (laughs) (laughs) um you've got a you've got a sleeping toddler who's probably going to sound the alarm soon (laughs) soon enough but thank you so much um for sharing that with us today and um and for the work you're doing and yeah i'm looking forward to kind of doing some more training with you that would be cool um and yeah so thank you Thank you so much. This has been so lovely. And yeah, thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Healing Birth Podcast. If you like what you heard, please spread the love by sharing this podcast with others. Or if you'd like to connect with me, you can get hold of me via Instagram at healing.birth and through my website, healingbirth.co.nz. I'd love to hear from you whether that's so you can share feedback or suggestions, or because you're potentially interested in working or training together. Let's do it. Aroha nui, you beautiful people.